I want to give a huge shout out to my guys at Police Canine Association. You can contact them through email at policecanineassociation at gmail.com or go to the website policecanineassociation.com or pk9a.com and check out their awesome gear. Let me hop in here and talk about our one of our sponsors for the podcast, Southern Coast Canine, based out in New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine has been providing better training, better results, and better dogs for over 25 years. Led by Bill Heiser and known for their excellent high-drive dual-purpose and detection dogs and outstanding customer service. They have what you want and what you are looking for. Call 1-877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647 and speak with Bill to discuss your canine needs today. Or visit southerncoastcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number 9. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at southerncoastcanine, the letter K, the number 9. This episode is brought to you in part by Highland Canine LLC. They offer total solutions for law enforcement and military organizations to meet their increasingly demanding canine needs. Connect with them and see the difference at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's tacticalpolice, the letter K, the number nine, training.com. Yeah, I'm a crazy motherfucker walking up your street. Craziest fucker that you ever see. Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, welcome back to Working Dog Radio, uh, broadcasting the bite. This is another episode. This is going to be a good one. Um, We've got uh, a real special guest here tonight, but uh, first, with me as always is my partner, Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, how are you? Rocking and rolling. We... uh... We've been fairly busy. Alicia and I moved into a new house, and uh, we got more room for more stuff. Uh, working dog dry goods started to suck up a lot of a lot of room at the house, and uh, we bought one of those new uh, Instapot things. Have you seen yeah, these deals? Yeah, yeah. And and I and I really feel like they should be paying us for this, but they are absolutely life changing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's cool. Uh, what's what's on the dog front for you? Um, we're still working. The bed bug dogs are pretty much done. Um, I'm just doing, uh, you know, I'm taking them to hotel rooms, and we're going to take them to the library and a couple of other places. Uh, we about finished with the explosives dog. Um, she's just learning, you know, shapes or what I call shapes now, which is where she's learning to work. But she's on all of her odors finally. Uh, finished a handler course with one of our local guys, a uh, really sharp dog. He's certified last weekend with the state. Oklahoma is one of the states that has mandatory detection certification, and they passed fantastically. Um, other than that, uh, Ray just left from uh, Denver. He'll be back in April uh, for to finish up some of the handler course. And then, uh, yeah, we're starting to plan – for coming up, oh, Alicia came back from Gettysburg to see the kids up at uh, brought at uh, Tripwire. She went up there, was blowing shit up and shooting stuff. And um, you know, there's some big things in the work. I think by the time that this airs, it'll be public knowledge. Um, if not, we'll cut it out. But uh, we're doing an online, or they are um, doing an online thing specifically geared towards specialty and law enforcement. So it's going to be like a police one, but geared towards uh, canine 
EOD and uh, SWAT. So they're going to pull guys from each one of those industries to write articles, and there it's going to be a small monthly paid subscription. I don't know how much it is. I think it's going to be less than ten bucks, but you'll get access to articles. You'll get access and articles that would be in any of the industry publications, but it's all going to be web based and internet based. Um, and it's going to tie into the show that we were actually at in Vegas, which we're going to be at in Daytona Beach this year. So, uh, or next year, I should say. So, um, yeah, that's been. Uh, she's been gone all week, and she's finally home. So, and she's excited yeah. about the Instapot too. Yeah, big, big <laughs> things coming. Um, so for me, I got uh, just got a lab in. I haven't had a lab in a while. Um, there's a guy that's about an hour and a half from me that is a dog vendor that sells hunting type breeds. And, uh, so I, I go over there from time to time and see what he's got. Um, <clears throat> so I got this female kind of like a project. She's got amazing hunt drive, but she's never been off the farm. Normally I would pass on that, but, um, I've gotten dogs with these from these exact parents before and have worked out great in the same condition. So I, I'm teaching her stairs and things she's never seen before. She's two and a half years old and has never, been on a floor in a, in a gymnasium or yeah, never, I, I saw you take her out. Step. Yeah. I saw you right. take her into the school with the slick floors and stuff. She's just ripping around and they're chasing tennis balls and whatever else. Yeah. So, I mean, she's, yeah, I threw in the deep end. As soon as I got her uh, back, I took her to the tower that has those open, open backed, clear, open graded steps. So it's graded metal. And it's, I fail a lot of dogs on those steps. Right, and right. She did really good, man. She did took her up there five or six times. The last time I had her, off leash running around and I went up to retrieve my phone and she came up right behind me up the steps with no problem. So, and I'm doing some different things with her training that I'm not used to, but some ideas that I've gotten actually from working dog radio podcasts that we've done. Um, and actually I can't wait cause we're going to talk to our guest here about some of these training, uh, scenario type things and, um, get his, get his feedback on them. But, um, so based on that, you know, people, Love hearing, of course, Ted and I talk, but we do have a guest <laughs> here today. Um, some of you may know him, so I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll introduce our guest. His name is Frank Ritter. Okay, so people are like, well, who the hell is Frank Ritter? But if I told you his name is Fritter11 on Instagram, you would know, most of you would know exactly who I'm talking about. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good, good. I'm so glad you could uh, fit us in. Uh, you following you on instagram you seem very busy yeah um, life, life is always busy but thank you for having me i yep, appreciate it yep now those of you who are not on instagram or or really don't follow it that much um frank has one of the probably one of the largest accounts that dog people follow on there right now i think he's got about thirty thousand followers and it's fritter f-r-i-t-t-e-r 11 and um, most people probably don't know that your name is actually Frank. They probably yeah. think your name is Fritter. Well, yeah, when I, I was did. figuring out what your well, – <laughs> Eric and I were texting for the show, and I was like, what's this dude's actual name? I'm not going to call him Fritter all, all interview. <laughs> so <laughs> – you know, people, I actually, I actually go by the name Fritter. I've been called Fritter all my life, so – Oh, really? You know, oh, cool. Yeah, the legal, the legal name is Frank, but people call me Fritter, and I'm totally comfortable with that. That's right. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk to, uh, we're going to talk to, uh, Frank about his day job. And, um, those of you who from Instagram know, uh, the incident that happened a couple months ago with a couple of his dogs, uh, we'll touch on that. So what we'll do for those listening, we'll go to a commercial break 
And when we come back from the commercial break, we'll talk about the the incident. So that gives you guys time to go get your tissues if if uh, if you're so please. And then we'll talk about um, what's going on in his life now. Uh, he's got a uh, what looks like a promising little badass fun puppy, and um, we're going to talk about his training style and things like that. So uh, let's get at it. So there's a lot of people that would say, "Ah, oh, Fredder, you know he he trains his pet dogs and." And, you know, he knows a lot of people in the business, but he, he might not be considered canine. But what they don't know is that you're actually uh, a supervisor at, that runs a canine unit. You want to talk to him about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been running the program now for a local PD just uh, northwest of Sacramento for about six years. And when I uh, inherited the the job it was in complete disarray and i'm a dude that has really bad ocd like a lot of cops have Mm -hmm. and i've I've been known to in my specialty assignments i've been known to like really just strip things down and rebuild and that's exactly what our program needed because i used to talk shit about our canine program as a patrol sergeant because the dogs weren't that good and we had a hard time not a hard time they just they had a hard time doing what i expected them to do as a patrol sergeant especially like in high-risk car stops or whatever and uh, my captain became the chief and he was at one point um, a canine handler himself and i used to talk shit about the program to him and he called me on the carpet and said well put your money where your mouth is you're going to basically take over the program and you're going to rebuild it and so uh, that's kind of how it started. And so six years ago, I started with uh, this big shit sandwich, and we worked our way through it. I learned a lot. And, and now we have a program that's running super well. And one of our dogs right now, we only have two dogs, but one of our dogs is uh, in the top 10 of the Western states. Uh, so I'm really proud of that. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. What, uh, yeah. as a, so as a patrol sergeant, somebody that wasn't a canine guy, <clears throat> you before you took over the program, what air – Kind of as a broad for so for, for guys listening for guys that are yeah. that were in your position that were, you know, yeah. patrol sergeants. What was it specifically that you saw that they weren't able to do that you wanted them to do? Well, I think the uh, straw that broke the camel's back for me was we were running doing high risk car stops, and part of that includes our canine unit. And so we used the dogs, like of course, to clear the vehicle at the end of the or towards the end of the of, of the episode. And we would send our dogs out, and instead of the dog going up to the vehicle, clearing it or locating, you know, this suspect, the dogs would run off, you know, totally the opposite direction, go on someone's yard, take a deuce, you know, the handlers. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is a real deal. <laughs> and the handlers, the handlers are giving, you know, recalls for the dog. The dogs aren't paying attention. The handlers are screaming. The dogs aren't paying attention. The handlers are now running up to the dogs. The dogs are running away. It's like a, it was like Keystone Cops, you know. It's like that was more of a risk to my officers and to me and to the public than having the dogs there, right? And so my expect my expectation is and was that if you bring a canine in, that the dogs do exactly what most people would expect them to do, and that is to go clear that vehicle professionally and come back and make everybody safe. And that wasn't happening. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, you know, and and that's one thing that I know Eric deals with, and I, and I deal with on uh, all the time. You know, I have administrators show up, or I have guys in your position, whether lieutenants or sergeant, whoever it is, and they're like, we don't even really know what they're supposed to be doing. Like, I mean, and they literally have no idea, and either because they haven't had the interaction, and for that matter, patrol officers don't either. They're like, you know, they don't know what the fuck's going on, so. 
they just kind of assume that the handler knows and they just kind of follow his lead. So, um, so right now the two dogs you got, if you got to clear a vehicle, what happens? They do exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, <laughs> Excellent. The dogs, the, dogs go, the dogs go straight to the vehicle. They clear it, and they when they get recalled back, they come right back, and they and they go right back to their cars, and they're and they're scored away. And if there's something to be found, they find it. So, uh, it's it's that seems really simple up front, but as we all know, it's not as simple as that. A lot of training has to get there, has to be done to get there, and uh, and that's where we're at right now. Eric you know, will be the first one to tell you. You know, Eric will be the first one to tell you that the simple shit is the stuff that fucks people up and yeah. ends up costing people jobs, injuries, whatever it is. So, yeah, it's it looks yeah, simple, know, right? It does. Well, what I learned was I, I think initially my I thought you know, seven years ago, eight years ago, when I was watching handlers take care of their dogs, I was under the assumption that a handler was a trainer. You know, uh, and I, uh, I quickly learned that wasn't the case. It wasn't the case at all, right? Handlers, you know. They're not trainers. Well, some are, but most of them are not. And they're, you know, the dogs are going to, as, as we know, go to training groups. And so what I discovered was I put a lot of heat on the handlers, which at the time was, which I discovered wasn't really fair because it really wasn't. They were just doing. Yeah, but you didn't know thing. any better. I didn't. You know, I was, I was actually making some decisions and judgments out of ignorance. And I, I learned that really wasn't. They were doing the best they could. But what I discovered was the training was shit. And so we, we got new dogs, new handlers, new trainers, new cars, new policies. We did everything right from right from you know ground levels. So was there any pushback from above? No. Well, well <laughs> so when I got when I got <laughs> called into the when I got called into the office to, uh, to they asked me to consider the position, and I said, "Fuck no, I don't want that position." And uh, and they're like, "Oh no, this is one of those talks where your boss is like, no, we want you to consider, you know, <laughs> over the weekend." And mm-hmm. I was like, "I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need, the, I don't need the weekend. I can tell you right now, I don't want it." Which is kind of, in hindsight was crazy because I now know it's a real, it's a covenant position, right? A lot of people want that position, and here I was kissing it off, and um, and so my boss was like, "Well, like, hey, look, man, I won't say his name, but I'm like, hey, if you, you're my boss." If you want me to take it and you're telling me to, I will take it. That's I get I'm, I'm your employee. I will do that. However, if you want a warm body, someone because they didn't have the, the canine specialty didn't have a supervisor for over three years. And that was another issue. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, so I go, hey, if you just want a warm body, like to figure out the schedule, any monkey can do that. And you can pick out anybody. But if you want me to really do it and you know my personality, then I'm going to need support. And I was guaranteed complete support from admin, which is super critical. And in fact, uh, I did have that. But along the way, we had a lot of road bumps because what they thought was support was what they were comfortable with. And and, their, and some of their ideas were very outdated. So I had to make a lot of paradigm shifts for them. And that took a lot of advocacy for the program. So it was a real it was a big challenge. And uh, but we got there over time. We got there. And I think that's one of the lessons anyone in my position needs to do is you have to really advocate if you want the program to be what it really needs to be, then you have to advocate and educate everybody along the way. And you have to be fully committed to, you know, to do that. So, so you said you changed, uh, obviously got new handlers and new dogs and changed and got new trainers. Did you change training groups that had trainers? Or did you bring we in did. outside? No, people? no, we actually left our entire, we left the group that we were associated with, mm-hmm. which was, which was horrible. Because, in fact, when I was trying to learn about the position and dogs, I mean, I've been around dogs all my life, but not working dogs. And uh, when I went to the training, my mouth almost dropped. It was like, this is, I mean, any 
Well, I just wasn't impressed, right? It was like it actually explained why our dogs were performing the way they were, right? And so I went outside the box and decided I'm going to go visit some other training groups and go see what they're doing, right? And ones that were successful. And um, so I went to SAC PD's training group and I was like, holy shit, this is exactly where we need to be as in our training program. Our dogs need to mimic what these dogs are doing. And, and so I just start talking to people like, how do we get there? And uh, fortunately, we, we did. We actually, I was able to, and, and going to my chief, because the chief has to approve everything. So going to my chief and telling him, hey, you know, we need to change. And he was loyal to our, to our at that time, our current training group, because we had the same trainer for like 20 something years. Mm-hmm. And it was, and it was the same trainer he had when he was a patrol officer, who's now the chief, right? And so he was very loyal. And, and in his mind, you know, that was a great training group. And it probably was in the day, but I can't go by what, what happened yesterday. I have to go with what I, what I was saying, you know, currently. And so I had to convince him that the group was not what it was once was. And we had to make those, you know, changes. And he did. But then <laughs> we were doing we we're doing bark and holds and we I didn't we didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to do fine invites because it's just a lot better. To, I believe it's a lot better to do it that way, not giving the dog the decision to, you know, to bite. We we'll make that decision for the dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a huge hurdle. I had to, I had to do a lot of research because my chief wasn't a pushover. He he wanted research. He wanted, you know, his it's liabilities in, is in his lap. And to change from bark and hold to find and bite is a big paradigm shift for a lot of people, right? So, especially a chief. But we got there. We 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 convinced them that was the better way to do it. I, you know, and uh, we ended up changing our in order to get into the group we wanted to get in. That was how they were doing it. So we had to do it that way. So. Yeah, and for I I always feel bad for agencies or handlers that are stuck from a false narrative and they're doing uh, bark and holds. Um, I worry that those guys are going to get hurt. Uh, yeah. I worry that their dog is going to get hurt. Something bad's going to happen. Um, the the I don't know who started this fake narrative of where bark and hold is is a better way to go, but it's so deadly and dangerous. It's ridiculous. Liability is a lot higher. And hey, come on, if you go to any training, you would I'd question. You know, look, I, you know, I would question the fact that. Most dogs don't do that anyway, right? As soon as the dude moves, any any indication the dog pushes a guy, you know, you the know, dog's fighting. When I when I have this conversation, because uh, we have an agency that's semi close to us, it's in just in the next state over, and they're only about thirty five minutes from here. But the joke I tell to those guys, and I was like, you know, dogs are notoriously bad decision makers. No matter how well trained they are, they still lick their own ass and eat cat shit. And you know, along with uh, bark and hold typically comes use of force policies that are much lower in terms of deployments. And when you look at it, they end up biting more because they put the dogs in situations that are probably not where you would use a bite and a find and bite dog. And like you said, you send a bark and hold dog and he does what he's supposed to do. And he barks and somebody flinches and they get nuked. And so, you know, and like Eric said, like the false narrative of the lie. I don't know where that came from. Now, of course, there's bad bites and, you know, bad deployments and whatever else, which cause, but, you know, we're under the assumption that people are doing their job correctly and that's how we operate. And, you know, I'm, I, and that's what I tell my guys. They're like, oh, we want single purpose because of liability. I'm like, you do realize that if your single purpose dog bites somebody, it's the exact same amount of liability as if your dual purpose dog does, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't be or afraid. Maybe more. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't be afraid to do your job. And I say, you know, the dog is a tool. It's simple use of force. And at this point. Well, yeah. And, you know what, dude? You are so spot on with that. And it's exactly the basically the guidelines we go by. If, if we can deploy the dog, period, if it meets the criteria for us, then it doesn't matter if he bites or not. Right. I mean, that's it's that's a use of force. It's meeting the use of force criteria. And so we're OK with sending the dog and having him bite immediately. Or else we wouldn't send him in the first place. So or her, whatever, you know, whatever the gender of the dog is. But, but yeah, so we had to, we had to change that. And then I had to change, you know, he was, uh, my chief was big on German shepherds. And, um, and, not, and we do actually have a German shepherd, and we also have a Dutch shepherd now. But what I, what I had to basically teach my chief was, or educate him on was, hey, look, it, it's not about the breed of the dog. What I'm trying to have you, what I'm trying to do, chief, is I'm responsible for, because we're, we're self-funded. Right. So I'm super lucky. I work for a department that's fully funded. We don't, we don't have to do any, you know, we're not, we don't have to beg an association. We don't have to do fundraising. So I'm in charge of a lot of responsible for a huge budget. And so when we were buying all the, you know, the new dogs and the new trainers and the new gear, you know, I didn't want to be wasteful on, on the money. And so I didn't want to limit our selection to a breed. I had a tell, and he wasn't familiar. He didn't, he had never even heard of a Dutch shepherd. And he was only familiar with Malinois with the stereotypes of Malinois. That is, you know, Malinois are all crazy. Well, that's not, and that's a stereotype, right? We all know there are some, <laughs> we all know there's some crazy stuff in <laughs> but, but there's also a lot of good, stable, level-headed, clear-headed Malinois, right? That's just a fact. And there's also some shit, you know, lame Malinois. I've seen low-drive Malinois. If you're, you know, anyway, so the point was, it wasn't about the breed. I was trying to educate him. We want to broaden our selection process so we can get the better dog, right? Because as we all know, finding that unicorn dog is really a, a huge challenge. And if we limit our selection process to one specific breed, like a German Shepherd, then we, we're, we're, not, we're screwing ourselves. We're, we're paying ourselves into a box. And quite frankly, I, I, although I do have my own preference, I, I wouldn't, you know, if I, I wouldn't want to select a German Shepherd overall because usually they're bigger dogs and we use our dogs for flood applications. But it turned out we actually got um, one of our one of the dogs that we did get was a German Shepherd. And in some, actually our first dog that we got. And I'm kind of happy it turned out that way only because I want it showed to my chief. That I didn't have a hidden agenda. Right. And so we found a dog. We, we fucked it. It was probably over 100 dogs we evaluated before we found this dog. And it took months. And that was a whole nother thing because um, our previous trainer was also the vendor. Oh, so, no. Yeah, terrible. Right? And, and I was like, well, that's like, going to, that's like going to a car lot and saying, I want to buy a car. Which one should I buy? And they, <laughs> and they sell you the car that they want to sell you to. Fuck that, right? I mean, we're going to spend twelve grand just on the dog alone, right? So I should have a say. We should have a say in the process of the dog. And our, our previous um, trainer was like, nope, this is, this is your dog. This is the one you get. They hand you a dog. That's how, they did, that's how we were doing business for about 20 years. Yeah, this for, leads into a question that Eric is going to ask. But, you know, and that's something that I deal with a lot, too, <clears throat> is, you know, when you guys go to buy Glocks or body armor or whatever, anything other than a dog, you know, you've got multiple outlets for anything. So if you're going to buy a G19 or 40, whatever you guys use, even if you use Glocks, whatever, it's, I'm, and I'm not any poo-pooing anything else before I get fucking hate mail. So you, whatever, when you go do that, right, you have 40 people respond to this bid, right? And they pick the lowest one. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, so if they're all within 30 or 40 bucks of each other, they're going to pick the cheapest one. Same thing for ammunition, same thing for body armor, whatever it is, as long as it meets the specification. The problem with canine is that you can submit a bid, and you can, even for a green dog, you can have prices from 5000 to $12,000 for a green dog, and administrators are like, well, fuck, it must be the same thing, right? It's just a dog. And so... I mean, I tell people all the time, dogs aren't Glocks. Just because somebody, yeah, I mean, I'm not the cheapest guy in the world. Scott and I are not cheap. But on top of that, the people that we're competing against may be four, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 cheaper than us. And, you know, I just, and I give them a list of questions. I say, hey, this is what you need to ask. And whatever they say to you is probably going to be very telling. So that's my dogs aren't Glocks. Right, yeah. So, uh, the, in the training group, every single dog in there came from that one guy? Yeah, right? What a, what, a, what a business that is. And when it came to trials, you could only do trials with the dogs from his company. He wouldn't allow outside dogs into his trials, and you weren't allowed to trial your dog outside of his his little trial circuit. That violates the dog then, shit where you eat, doctrine. <laughs> right. So, in other words, hey, man, if your dog's badass, or you're proud of your dog in training – then stick it out there and show the world, right? I mean, right. put your mind on the office. Com- compete against anybody. You should have that kind of confidence. If your dog, if you don't have confidence that your dog can't do its performance, its job, you know, can't go out and send them on a bite and, and recall them and have some really nice obedience, then then you're in the wrong business. You know, you're, you're doing it wrong. You know, you should you should take the pride and the time. And, and and do it right and have the right dog, the right hand or the right trainer where you feel like I can show my dog off and it's going to perform as it should. Right. We, we do, I mean, trials and real police work, you know, they're closely related, but they're not exactly related. But, they, you know, close enough to the point where, you know, you should be able to show your dog off and, and have some confidence that the dog's going to perform as it should. Do you guys do do you guys do USPCA trials or what trials are you doing? We we do the Western States Canine Association, and so oh, okay. so it's everything in the Western States. But it's it's an open trial. Anybody can come in. Anyone's yeah. invited in, you know, and and you can take your dog anywhere you want to, to trial it as well. So it doesn't matter. And well, that's cool. do, yeah, and our dogs do exceptionally well. I mean, we I mean. yeah not that that we're trophy hunters but we got a nice little you know nice little bookcase of trophies now you know and and uh and to me those are just uh just one indicator that the dog and the handler are doing the right thing it's not a it's not a says all but it's it's an indicator for sure you know yeah we we compete uh my my guys in the in the police canine association compete in a um an event in akron every year and it's pretty fun um, yeah. and we always try to take home, it's nice to take home a, a, uh, there's like three or four trophies they get out for different things. And, um, we always try to take it, you know, at least one or two home and it's a good time. Um, you know, they, the one thing I try to tell guys when you go to, to those, and there's a lot of people watching and things, you got to go there and sure you want to do good and you, you want to put your best foot forward. You definitely got to go there understanding that your dog is not a robot and this perfect mm-hmm. obedience dog this one day you're going to go go out and make a right turn and he's going to go straight and start sniffing something <laughs> for that one time in his whole life. And, yep. and you, you just got to not get pissed and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, shrug and, your shoulders and enjoy yourself. 
dogs, dogs are no different. You know, high performance dogs are no different than high performance athletes. You know, you're going to have days out there where you know Peyton Manning's going to get intercepted five fucking times, and he's going to get he's going to get sacked you know six times in the same game, have a shit game. You know, and, and that's just that's just the nature of the beast. And our, our dogs are no different, right? There's going to be days where they just don't they're not into it, man. And uh, you just have to know they're not machines. But for the most part. You know, Peyton Manning is who he is because consistently he is a good guy, a good quarterback. And our dogs should be consistently good as well. But, you know, there are going to be days where they're better than others. And there's going to be days where they're just, you know, they're just being dickheads, you know. That's just how it is. Yep. All right. So uh, we're going to take a second, uh, take a break here real quick, uh, go to commercial. Um, Those of you who know the story of Fritter and his dogs, go ahead and – Get yourself set. We'll talk. It's just we're going to go into it. We're not going to go into the all the all the details, but we'll touch on it for those who don't know and maybe some things that people don't know about. Sure. This episode is brought to you by Highland Canine Training LLC. They offer total solutions for law enforcement and military organizations to meet their increasingly demanding canine needs. Connect with them and see the difference at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's tacticalpolice, the letter K, the number nine training.com. Guys, they're fucking good. I want to talk about something near and dear to my heart. That's the Police Canine Association, or PK9A. They were formed in 1985 by handlers for handlers. They are a 501c3 nonprofit that helps support active and retired canine units through fundraising and the sale of some badass merchandise. Please take a minute to check out their newly designed website at www.pk9a.com. That's pk9a.com. I've been a member there for 13 years and the current training director there. I can tell you there are some big things in the works to expand the nonprofit to help canine units all over. If you're on Instagram, check them out for some amazing content at Police Canine Association or Police Canine Association on Facebook. Okay, we're back. Uh, We're back with Frank Ritter, known as Fritter11 on Instagram. Um, We've been having a pretty good, very interesting conversation about – about his unit and how he built it up and the changes that were made. Uh, I, I got to tell you, Frank, I'm really impressed that your, uh, like your chief, listen, it, uh, you know, you, you give you marching orders and I don't, maybe, maybe you get somebody that has a, a different opinion, but if you can prove it to them, then they're like, okay, you're the, you're the expert. We'll go with you. Um, that's very impressive. Um, there's a lot of uh, bosses out there that, they just aren't going to do that. So, so you just, you're lucky. You just, you just have to show them it's to their advantage, <laughs> right? Right. If it's, exactly. If it's to exactly. their advantage, you're going to do it. And you got to tell them, hey, dude, look, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you, right? Right. right. So, so anyway, so he was. Yeah, we changed. We changed a lot of stuff. So it was. It was. It wasn't easy, but we got there. Right. So okay. Um, so those of you who know and have been following. Um, how long have you been on Instagram, Frank? Uh, about four years. About four years on there. Uh, when I met you, or yeah, I met you in Louisville, Kentucky. What was that last year? I think, or two a year and a half ago, something like that. You had a you had a pretty good sized account, probably. I don't know, maybe sixteen thousand people, seventeen thousand. I I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and it was growing. Um, I remember following, uh, seeing at the beginning, um. You, you got your first dog and and we're showing things. I was very jealous of your backyard. I'm not going to lie about that. You got Thanks. with the swimming pool and everything. And um, yeah. I think you were doing some uh, – there was a lot of swimming, a lot of jumping. I think you were doing some dock diving stuff or, or messing around yeah. with that a little bit. Yeah. And the, 
I see your your pack is growing, right? You start getting a couple extra dogs. Your your count's growing. It it's get, gets people's attention. Um, you were showing, you know, talking about work. I saw some stuff, you know, maybe some demos at work. But then mostly going back to showing your dogs. And at, at first you were showing a lot of stuff, but not um, – not as much of your particular training, and then it then you started picking up more, a little bit more on that, and people really started getting a a connection with you and your dogs. They did. And you were living you're living a life uh, with your dogs that we talk about all the time. Getting out, uh, exercising. You do have the advantage of where you're at in California that within a certain amount of drive you have about everything, right? I got the world. Yeah, I do. Yeah. What you. Right. It's amazing. The some of the sceneries. I mean, those those videos I've seen of you by that waterfall. Oh, my God. That thing blows me away every time I see those things. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a half hour drive. I'm in a whole nother world and it's completely isolated. And it's one of the most beautiful areas probably on Earth. It's, it's insane. Right. So then we're going. Everything's kind of chugging along here. We got these uh, beautiful dogs and we're everybody's having a good time. And then out of. Out of nowhere, Instagram, at least in the dog world, Instagram gets rocked. Yeah. Uh, a, a post from you that says, hey, something – we lost two of our dogs today in, in a really bad hiking accident. Please give us a minute. And it took a little while, and but, boy, that's – I got to tell you, that's what people were talking about. Everybody's like, what happened? What happened? What happened? A lot of speculation of just guessing, you know? Uh, yeah. And then it just um, – I, I remember the day you did your live broadcast, I was at um, – my daughter had an indoor track meet, and we were at this humongous facility, big indoor track meet, and she wasn't running or anything yet, and I had it on my – I knew what time you were going to go on, and I went outside, and it um, the, the Wi-Fi and the connection there kind of sucked. So I was trying to listen to what you were saying, and uh, but then it, it was a it was a pretty emotional – Obviously, it's emotional to anyone when they lose a dog, but your situation, uh, do you want to touch on it a little bit? We don't have to get into everything. But yeah, yeah, sure. I know. Uh, you know, well, well, like you said in the preface, um, you know, I, a lot, I was always an avid. My, my account's not about political agendas. It's not about, you know, self-promotion. It's not about making money or even trying to get followers. My account was speci is specifically designed to advocate dogs and working dogs and specifically people, civilians who try to get these type of dogs and don't know how to, how to, how to be with them. And so I wanted to show I wanted to show people that you can have these kind of dogs, but you really have to be fully committed to them and you have to stimulate them and, and they're capable of some really cool stuff. And so because of that, my account started to grow. And, um, and so fast forward and now we're, it's a beautiful day. I, I always take my dogs up to the snow every year cause they dogs love snow. Right. And so, um, we go to this, a lot of, a lot of the trails that I go on are backwood trails. Um, and I knew of this lake that, uh, is owned by, um, Pacific gas and electric, which is one of the major utility companies in California. And, uh, it's out in the backwoods. It's about a mile, mile track you know uh from the road and so we get there my wife and i get there and we take the dogs out beautiful sunny day this it was almost it was too warm i didn't in hindsight it was actually a horrible day to go because it was too warm and the snow was melting so we go on our trail the dogs are off lead i do almost all my work is exclusively off lead i've got great recall on my dogs and they can chase after squirrels rabbits whatever and they recall instantly and i've shown that over and over and over again on my account and so uh, we're, we're having a good time. We're walking up to the lakes. I, and I thought it would be frozen. 
And as we're, uh, I don't know, man, you know, maybe 150 yards away from the lake, you can't, from our, from where we were at, you can't see the lake yet because we're going up this hill and you have to go over a berm. The snow is about, um, I don't know, you know, it's about waist deep. And uh, the dogs are off lead and they break over the berm. And, uh, and they were probably about, I don't know, 25 yards from me. As they break over the berm, I do a recall and either they couldn't hear me or they were already, the lake was right on the other side. And what I didn't know was the uh, lake was only partially frozen. So the outer perimeter of the lake had about a quarter inch, half inch layer of ice. And as you headed, as you went in towards the middle of the lake, there was no ice at all. So it thinned out as you went. And as I recalled my dogs, they didn't come back and they always come back, right? And so I did a quick run up the berm. As I got to the top, I could see that they were in the fucking water that broke through the ice about, I don't know, about 150 feet out. And uh, it was like, oh, well, lucky, I have four dogs. I've got a lab mix, and then I've got a Malinois, and I have two Dutch, two Dutch Shepherds. And uh, Sadie, it's my Malinois, she was in the water somehow. I think she pushed off the other two dogs, but was able to get back on out of the water onto the ice, and she, and she recalled back to the shore where I now was. And Lucky would never. Lucky was already on the shore, and as as Sadie was running back, you could literally see the ice breaking underneath her feet. It was like a cartoon almost, you know. And she was just like one one step ahead. And the other two dogs, uh, Anubis and Siri, my two Dutch shepherds, are in the water and um, couldn't get out. Right? They're just kind of, and we're in the middle of nowhere. I've got no reception on my phone, and I, uh, you know, my heart sank. So I went into cop mode and thought I got to fix this fucking mess and uh you know there's no one there right we're in the middle of nowhere so i i can't go i know i can't go into the water with my clothes on because it's gonna i'll probably just die so i stripped mm-hmm. all my clothes i stripped all my clothes off down to my skivvies and i tried to get on top of the ice but the ice would just break you know it, i'm almost 200 pounds and every time i try to get on it, it broke and i went under the water the water was you know the water is so cold it feels like fire that's the best way to describe it. It doesn't feel like cold water. It feels like fucking boiling water. And uh, I instantly knew that I, I couldn't get the fuck out there. You know, so I'm recalling them, recalling them. And they can't, they're struggling. They can't get out of the water. I'm trying to, I, I go up the berm a little bit. I'm trying to find, you know, I'm, I can over overview the lake. And I'm trying to figure out that maybe there's a way they can get out from where they're at and you know, go a different path. And you know, my dogs are screaming, right? They're they're panicking. They're looking at me, and I and I can't figure. I can't clear the fucking jam. I can't figure out how to do this. And um, I started grabbing some logs, um, and I thought I'd use the logs as a flotation device. And then I get into the water, and it sucked the fucking life out of you, man. I I, I would have died, you know. And um, and I knew that. And my wife was there, and she's jumping in. You know, she's getting on top of the ice, and she's breaking through. And now I'm concerned about my wife drowning because she would have. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, she would have. And <laughs> so uh, so anyway, so I'm trying to figure out a way, man. And and uh, <laughs> and so what happens is about an hour into this, um, Anubis goes under and he drowns. I, so this is like a, this, the whole process. Took like a, I, I watched my dog struggle for an hour and a half, you know, and um, – I don't know. It's like, you know, it's, it's almost like if you saw, I love my dogs the way I love 
by kids, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you saw, if you saw your kids in a burning house in the second story, looking at you, screaming at you, and you're trying to, every time you try to touch the door and go in and, you know, you open the door and, you know, this tremendous amount of heat and flames hit you in the face, you know, you can't go in. That's kind of how it felt, you know? And, uh, I, so I, I, and so Anubis went under, uh, I've been, I've been running around my, in snow up to my waist naked and uh, I can't, even, there's so much adrenaline going through your body. You don't feel any of this. You know, I've been, I was falling in rocks. My legs were shredded to fuck. And uh, what I noticed was there was a couple of orange cylinder shaped buoys that were dry docked by the dam. There's a small dam up there. And they were, uh, but they're like 250 pounds each, you know, they're like 15 feet long. And they were tied down with an eye bolt and a cotter pin. That's like you know, the biggest cotter pin you've ever seen in your life. And I ended up somehow squeezing it with my hands, even though I couldn't feel my hands. And I struggled for a while, but I ended up getting this fucking boy into the uh, drag at about 150 feet um, in the snow. And uh, I get into the water, but it's like a rolling log. You know, every time I get on it, it spins me off. And... Uh, and then, and then Siri, we got Siri to go to the other side of the lake, but it was also frozen on that side. And she was, I don't know, you're, you know, dogs, dogs will scream just before they die, just like a person will, you know, Siri screamed. It, it haunts me to this day. And oh, uh, God. yeah, it's pretty intense. And it took her, it took her an hour and a half. So I, I watched my dogs die for an hour and a half long. And, um, and then it was over. She, she just succumbed to the cold and, exhaustion and she went under and all of a sudden so all of a sudden my wife and i are sitting you know in fucking waist deep snow and uh i'm naked and uh our dogs just died and uh so now you know it's not over yet and now we ha- and she, my wife is you know soaking wet up to her shoulders and freezing water and we have to get back to the truck and right, she uh she actually suffered some pretty bad hypothermia she's um mm-hmm for a while and I suffered some hypothermia and, and it's just a big shit sandwich but you know I, I made it public because I, I realized I had sucked you know 20 something thousand people into my lives and uh, I don't know I took some respons- ownership and responsibility to that and I felt um, you know like I owed it to the public to let them know what happened and the story behind it you know and as a result the um, you know, the, the love and support was insane. You know, it was, uh, I never realized actually, um, how the dogs, how my dogs had touched globally people around the world. You know, we, every continent, I mean, Wales and Argentina and South Africa, I mean, Australia, all the European nations, it was, it was incredible. I guess that was always the goal, but I never realized to what level, you know, it got got to. And then I also realized at that point, by Instagram, your followers aren't just numbers. You know, we talk about numbers. I got 50,000, 100,000, but there are people behind those numbers and people that are really supportive and, and uh, are doing things with their dogs that maybe you've motivated them to do. And it was, uh, it was a hell of an experience, you know. And so um, house felt really empty. And uh, I, yeah, I've I've, <laughs> I've always told people, um, 
you know, I always suggested to people that, hey, if your dog ever gets killed, because we, we lost a dog in the line of duty. One of our German shepherds we lost, actually. But uh, I always told people, hey, as soon as you lose a dog, I think it's a good idea to get another one. Because we're dog people, right? You're a dog person. You know, mm-hmm. all your followers are dog people. And we're all about dogs. And not having one is like not having a Glock with you or a firearm with you. Right. Yeah, it's, it's part of us. And uh, I... I just knew I, I fucking had to get a dog immediately. And so it wasn't like when I got the new dog, the new Dutch Shepherd that we have, Osiris, it wasn't like, you know, hey, I'm getting this dog to forget about my other dogs. It was the, you know, just deal with all the crap, all the all the demons that are inside of you, you know. And so so that's anyway, that's the story in short. Oh, and uh, a few days after the incident, I got a got a I was going to take I was fucking depressed as fuck. And uh, I got a call on my phone, and um, I I recognized the number, but I didn't want to talk, and I just you know canceled it. And the, and my friend called me back immediately. I thought, what the fuck's this guy want? And I I was going to cancel it again, but I decided to answer it because most people don't call back twice, you know, not not right, right. away. And um, he goes, hey Ritter, he goes, uh, dude, they found Anubis, and this is a. Uh, a deputy who works for the county that Anubis and Siri drowned in. And what had happened was, I told you earlier that the lake was owned by Pacific Gas and Electric Company. Well, they had maintenance guys that go up there and, and check on the lake. And one of the guys went up there, and he saw he saw somebody had fucked with the, those orange boys. You know that I it was actually me who did that because I left them there. And um, so he went to investigate it, and when he did. He found Anubis by the shore, and Anubis. He looked like a police dog, right? He had his harness on. He had all of his canine patches on. He had his collar on. I mean, it, it was obvious he was a special type of dog. It wasn't just some pet dog that drowned. And so um, there was some radio chatter with Animal Control and Placer, Placer County Sheriff's Office. And um, and word quickly spread that, this, hey, anybody know about this fucking police dog that they found up at the lake? And and he had heard he was on duty that day, and he had heard the the radio chatter, and uh, he called me up, and um, he had gotten a hold of animal control, and uh, so I was actually super happy, and so we uh, they got Anubis, they brought him down to uh, to Auburn, which is a halfway point between my house and where we were, and uh, we met them at animal control. I got a chance to um, you know have a nice little talk with Anubis at the end, so. And I was so happy to have his collar back and his harness back. It was just something part, you know, have, having a part mm-hmm. of him again was, was, um, I, I can't tell you what it meant, you know, it meant a lot. So Siri, Siri's still up there. The lake is frozen. It's been, it, the lake's at 6,000 feet and it, the lake is completely under ice right now once again. So she's entombed in it right now. This, uh, this late spring, probably when it thaws out, I actually have a, have four divers and uh, some equipment, a boat and some sonar stuff, and we're going to go find Siri. So that's all set up. We're just waiting for um, <clears throat> we're just waiting for the lake to thaw back out again, and hopefully we can recover her and and lay her to rest the way she needs to be. So that's the story. Uh, yeah, we we hope for the best on that, man. You know, I live at a lake. I live on a lake in in Ohio, so it freezes a lot, and then it's not always frozen. But what people don't understand is so. Here's an example. Um, February last year, every February we have a, a winter fest here, and they do a uh, a polar plunge where they chop out the ice and you jump in. But last year, the day of the of the fest, it was sixty five degrees, a freak thing. So the the lake is not frozen, but the water is still in the thirties. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, so people are running in. Normally, they you walk out on the ice, jump in the hole, and climb out a ladder. But this time, they have them running out to swim out to this little buoy and back. So people are like, yeah, yeah we'll go out. People are getting – we're getting in the water, my daughter included, getting in the water and getting out to about waist deep, chest deep, and l- their muscles freezing and locking up, like instantly yeah. frozen to where they can't – like we had to go in and pull people out of the water, and it was 65 degrees out. Yeah. And and for for your dogs to fight and be able to last that long is just um, – it's absolutely amazing. I, I thought you were going to say it was minutes because that's what I've seen in human beings is minutes. And so when they think about that with you're trying to rescue them, um, you know, you're you're in waist deep snow, then in the water with no clothes on, you're a few seconds. You you probably are getting your muscles tight, con, you know, frozen up where you can't do even move. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Dude, I, I got to tell you, you know, what, what, what fucked with me psychologically is I've been a cop for 22 years. And uh, almost all of it has been on a patrol level or some sort of tactical level. I was a detective for a while. But the point being is I've always been able – I've gone to so many countless critical incidents or high-risk you know, um, events that I've orchestrated. And here I am talking to you, and I'm talking to you because I've, I've been successful. You know, I've, I've, I've beat the odds, right? And no one's ever been hurt. My cops have never been hurt. My dogs have never been hurt. And we've always, we've always beaten the bad guy, right? I've always been able to clear the jam. And this is the one event in my life that I lost. And it, it's just a mind fuck, dude. I, I just can't, I just can't, it's hard because it's like of all, of all the ways my dogs could have died, you know, cancer, a car, whatever, you know, to, to watch them die the way they did and for me to have to, to watch it and not be able to unfuck it was um, a real ass kicker. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that, there's, there's probably a few people only listening to this right now that can even relate and not even in this manner. It would be relating in their dog getting shot or, or hit by a car and dying in front of them and things like that. But to in this particular story, in this manner, there's there would be very few people that could even relate to that. It's a yeah, tough one. that's uh, yeah, yeah. But, but you know, life life moves on, man. Life, yep. you know, the sun always rises the next day, and you got to move forward. And and so now I've got Osiris, and and um, he's a he's a killer dog, and uh, we're we're doing. He's goddamn, he's actually a great dog, and I'm I'm fortunate to have him. So yeah, so so out of out of ashes, you know, the things rise up. And uh, all of a sudden we see we get this new Dutch Shepherd puppy. Everybody's like, oh, shit, who's this? Who's this? This dog is gorgeous. Where did he come from, if you want to say? Yeah, yeah. Uh, So so I've got some really close friends uh, that are really plugged into the Dutch Dutch world, Dutchy world. And I reached out to them immediately and I said, hey, look, man, I need I, I can't. I can't go another fucking day without, you know, training a fucking, I need some more dogs. Just having, having lucky and Sadie just wasn't enough. And I, I need to get going on my life. And, and so I reached out to them and I gave them some criteria what I was looking for. And um, so they put all their feelers out and there was a, a, a guy, a, actually a couple in New Jersey. And it's not, it's not canine gunner tactical. He's, he's also located. That's Brady Foster. He's located mm-hmm. in, in Jersey. Um, but 
uh, they're a precision dog sport. That's that's the name of their company. And uh, and it turned out that they had a Dutch Shepherd female uh, who's a she's a title PSA dog with a extensive uh, bloodline and KMPV, and then a Dutch uh, a Malinois named Rocky who is has uh, he's from Mexican bloodlines, and also has uh, extensive history in KMPV. And they had a litter of of Dutch Shepherds and uh, nine of them five five males and four females. And uh, it turned out, man, their dogs are really awesome dogs. They're super stable. They're environmentally sound. And uh, they had heard my story. They, they heard the story because the people that I was going through, um, they knew them already and they shared the, my story with them. And so I was able to get uh, to assess all the dogs. And if I wanted one of them, I could take anyone that I wanted. Basically, I had to pick up the litter if I wanted one from that litter. And uh, it turned out they uh, there were two dogs that were, had met my criteria. Um, and one was assessed to be a little bit better than the other. And so we went with he had a black collar on. So, his, you know, they, they were, he was black at the time. And uh, I said, I want him. So I pulled the trigger on it. And um, and we flew him from New Jersey to, to California, and we've been rocking and rolling ever since. So that's that's where he came from. Well, that's awesome. Which PSA female was it? Uh, it was Lucia. Her name oh, okay. is Lucia. Yeah, yeah, I know she is. Uh, yeah, if you go to, uh, they have a, well, they have you know Instagram, but they also have a Facebook page. It's uh, Precision Dog Sport, and Michael Fromm, I think is his, his last name is Fromm, and. Uh, yeah, you know they're very transparent with all their all their training. Yeah, you know, they do operant training. They do the same stuff that everyone not everyone's doing, but they do operant training. And uh, dogs are super stable, super social, um, environmentally sound. You know, everything they have nice prey drive, nice hunt drive. You know they have all the environmental stability. They have all those things that you know we all most of us are looking for anyway. And um, so anyway, so I get this puppy and. Holy shit, man. <laughs> he's the kind of puppy that makes anybody look good, right? <laughs> he's that kind of dog. He's just, he has it all. You know, he's, he's super confident. He's super social. So far, he's been completely environmentally stable. He's showing great, you know, prey drive, great, um, great food drive. He's showing some nice hunt drive. And he's got some natural forward aggression, you know. He's just kind of a—he's that kind of dog. He tends to own a room when he walks into it, and so he's been a dream dog. And I—I I use operant training for—that's what I do, how I train my dogs. And um, and he started off that way because they—they did the same thing. They were—they were—I uh, think she Dallas, the female half. She's a graduate from Michael Ellis's school here in in um, California. And so they were doing clicker training right away with them at like five weeks. And it's and you can go to their 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 YouTube account as as well and watch it. And these dogs were already, you know, were doing things at five weeks old. It was amazing. So anyway, so we just kinda took you know, took it from there and um and you know, I don't know what his goals are yet. We'll kinda see. I'm I'm thinking about maybe doing some ring sport with them, but we'll we'll see about that. We'll we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But he's showing a lot of promise. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, the um, the you know, like everybody, I'm following him on there, uh, checking in when I can. You you throw stuff up on Instagram, and I see it. Um, he looks like he is learning at an insane rate. Insane, um, right? And he insane, dude. It's like uh, he's a kind. Of, I, I'm playing with some. I don't I don't do a lot of free shaping. 
I'm experimenting with him because he's so smart. And um, you, and I, I'm not against reshaping at all. I'm actually for it. I usually just don't have the patience for it. I do a lot of luring and then kind of free shape it at the end. And but um, he, I'm I'm experimenting with him, and he says, "Dude, it's insane what he's already offering and how fast he wants. He's figuring out what I'm asking him to do. You know, it's uh, and we're doing a little bit of everything right now. You know, we're doing some introduction to focus heal. We're obviously doing the obedience." We're doing some bite work, but he's just—he's about to go into the teething phase. So we're gonna—we don't do any—we won't be doing any tug work or bite work during the teething phase. I'll just wait for that to go past. And he's—he's um, doing—he's—he's he's just really doing well. I mean, all the basic stuff, you know, the the potty training and the kennel training and the expect uh, the X pen training—all that's already done. It's, he's already—he already gets all that. It's an, and he's super loving too, right? So we can go into a training session. He gets fired up. He performs. He's offering behaviors, and then uh, when when we're done with the training, he just okay, we're done. He doesn't, you know, he just turns it off. He's it's pretty incredible. So so is yeah, it, he's a, is he a rotten shit at all in anything? <laughs> you have his moments have where you're like, man. No, dude. I, you know, the only thing, you know, the only, and this is a good thing for me is he's, you know, he's your, he's, if you want to talk about stereotypes, he's your stereotypical Dutch shepherd. You know, he likes to constantly work, right? He likes to do stuff. And so there's times where I'm trying to, you know, I don't have the time to work with him or I'm just trying to take a chill pill for a second. And it's like, dude, relax for a second, you know, because <laughs> he wants to work. And it's funny because I'll, you know, I try not to do a lot of training inside the house, but it's been raining a lot. And I can't take him out right now to a lot of places because of the whole parpo thing. I got to wait for the whole, you know, sixteen weeks to go past. But I'm not, I'm not going to fuck off and waste time. So I want to train him. So I do training inside the house. And so I'll walk. I'll have him. Up until recently, he's been on a, you know, he's on a, he's on a, a lead and a harness because I don't allow him to just have free, free time in the house. But lately, last week or so, I'm giving him more freedom. And um, when I take him off lead, he'll just automatically walk up to you know the training area and if i have i do some touchpad training for placement and he'll just you know start offering behaviors he wants to work you know so i haven't found i haven't found shit yet that i don't like in this dog i don't i it's been amazing so uh, he's he looks real promising he might be that unicorn (laughs) (laughs) you know and it's great uh it's just been a really i know i love training dogs um and and it's just been a lot of fun, man. It's just my deal, you know. It's yeah, I, you know, people I, severely. You know, I'll be open with you. I, you know, after the incident, I checked myself into a little therapy. You know, because I felt I needed to talk to somebody about some of the shit that I went through. And uh, after four sessions, and I'm not, I'm not poo pooing therapy, but I got to tell you, man, the best therapy for me really has been having this fucking dog. And um, and I only time I feel like I'm actually in the right place in my head is when I'm training him hanging with them so i i quit i quit the therapy sessions and i'm just spending time with my dogs i can't tell you the number of dogs that i've looked at as and eric i'm sure has similar stories of dogs that are like uh what i would consider in the green age you know they're 12 to 20 ish months old or whatever and i can immediately tell you know the difference between drive and activity which hopefully if you're evaluating dogs you have but then you can also tell what they've been what what how they've been raised, I guess. I mean, you can tell like what genetically is there, but you can also tell how they've been raised. And, you know, I'll be really, really honest. And with dogs that we have, and we've sold a lot of dogs, Eric's done a lot of dogs, um, dogs that we have the most success with, um, are the ones that we breed 
whelp, raise, train, mm-hmm. and sell, or <clears throat> the ones that come from people that we know that do it not necessarily like we do, but very similar, or from trusted vendors in Europe. Um, inevitably, the shit shows are always the people that show up and they're like, the dog was donated. I don't know where the fuck it came from. I don't know how yeah. it was raised. And then, right. you know, the dog has some kind of wonky-ass, weird environmental... And there's always something. And it, I feel like every yeah. time I get put into that situation, it is it, it adds weeks if not months to like overcoming some of that shit and people severely underestimate the impact that raising a dog like you're doing or like i do however not as like i'm some fucking puppy master or anything but you know i've done pretty good and have a pretty good track record and you know and that is a huge deal because i mean like the dog you're describing how old is he uh he'll be 14 weeks tomorrow okay so in 14 months he should be a fucking rock star. You should be able to walk yeah. him into any department in the country and assuming everything stays the same, you should be able, and you're not going to do this, but you should be able to sell him as a green dog or as a very yeah. experienced. And, you know, I mean, yeah. we, you know, I mean, there's inevitably some genetic stuff that you can't overcome, but I mean, and, you know, we've talked about that with subtle. We've talked about that with, with Ritland and, you know, Eric and I talk about it privately and, you know, about, like the shit show that is like dogs that are donated or dogs that are like, Oh, I want to sell him as a police dog. I'm like, I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> right. like, yeah. Yeah. You know, several, I mean, people that are in the business know that's not how you do business, right? It's novices. It's the good heart, good hearted people who think, Oh, you should go to the pound and just pick one out and make it a police dog. We, we, you know, it comes from, it comes from a good place, but they're way off. Right. That's not, I've done that. It sucks. Dude, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you this, and let me t- let me go back to how we first started here and make this full circle. Look, you know, I've got a, a budget that I'm re- I'm responsible for my taxpayers' money, and I don't take that lightly, especially when we're fully funded. I got to make some good decisions, and have people be happy at the end of my product, right? And so I got to make sure that I spend twelve grand on a dog just to buy him and then spend another eight grand to train him into a police dog. And then to maintain him, is going to be more money and the equipment and the $60,000 car and all the money that goes into this, right. That, that the dog can perform a certain way. And, you know, I'm not going to take a dog out of the pound and take that risk and spend all this time and money for a dog that's going to fail. And, and it's just, it's not fair to the dog. It's not fair to the taxpayers. You know, we want to have, have dogs that are coming from proven bloodlines right and so and most of those almost all those dogs exclusively are going to be dogs from europe that's just how it is man. and if you can't determine that or somebody in your position you need to find somebody that can and like whether it's me or whether it's eric or whether it's any number of the other people in the country that do this and you know and i'm honest and people bring us those dogs i mean the one that we did was a department that was super small we had some kind of lab Chesapeake mix that we got from the pound. And, you know, he was a great detection dog when we finished, but he had the weirdest issues that took forever to work through. And, you know, it was always a compromise. And like you said, the dog is, you know, you're paying, you know, like 20 grand when it's all come down, you know, training and time and blah, 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 right? Like it's a round number. But then there's the excess time. There's the vets. There is the, all the equipment on the car, everything else. So, you know, everything, like, as you said, full circle goes back to this dog being able to perform the job that they were the tool the reason that we even have them. And if you have trainers or whoever telling you, not that that dog sucks, but it's like, uh, I got to 
bad news for you. <laughs> like, uh, this is this is going to be a stretch. And then you don't take him at face value, and then all of a sudden, you know, because there's some kind of ulterior motive, and I get that sometimes there is, but, you know, I, I'm, and I tell people all the time, I'm just not interested in taking what I would consider charity cases or literal charity cases and being and trying, or, you know, I've said this before, but turning a hoe into a housewife. I mean, it's not... You know, if it's not there, it's not there. And there's any number of ways that I can't overcome that or won't. I mean, I could, but won't. And, you know, it's a good point. And that's why somebody in your position, it's an extremely important skill set to have to even be able to identify, even if you're able to identify bullshitters and just be like, I think you're full of shit. I don't believe you. And (laughs) like, even if that's your only skill, at least it's valuable in this situation. Well, hey, and you know how it is. Like, you know, we we use a vendor down in Southern California almost exclusively because of the return policy. Because you know, if the dog the dog washes out during our during the during its academy phase, if you will, then we can take the dog back and exchange it for another dog. You know, and some you know, if you buy a dog, <laughs> if you buy a dog from a private person, it's buyer beware, right? If I spend ten grand on a dog, the dog fails, then what am I going to do with it, right? So we want to make sure that we have we use a vendor that has a nice return policy, and it yeah, turns out. Yeah, our vendors, our vendor, yeah, and our vendor's well known. So he's going to Europe and he's, you know, finding all these perfect, <laughs> perfect police dogs, as he says, you know, and brings them in. And even though these dogs are all type, quote unquote, title dogs, you know, um, and they're all great police dogs, it still took us, you know, over a hundred dogs of these titled great police dogs we washed out mm-hmm. right in the assessment right. process. You know, and, and, you know, and, and even 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 with the replacement policy, because everybody knows where I'm from, so I'm not going to mention any departments. But there's more than one department locally that has gotten dogs from a green vendor, put yeah. them through the quote unquote academy phase, and had the damn thing still fucking fail. So it's like, yeah. great, we could replace the dog, but you're still out the however many you know 16 weeks or however long you've yeah. been training. And, you know, how how do you as an administrator or as, you know, running the unit then turn around and tell the higher ups, well, we didn't pick well, the right one. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. And I tell you what, I got I got some pressure because we, we made all these changes up front. And uh, I mean, I think their expectation was we're, we're making this road trip to Southern California. And it's, a, you know, it's an overnighter. It's it involves, you know, five or six people. And we have to rent, a, you know, a van and blah, blah, blah. There's all these logistical things we have to deal with. And that, their expectation is we're going to come back with the dog. Well, guess what? We didn't come back with the dog like the first four or five times. And they're kind of like, hey, and you know, all of a sudden your administrator's like, hey, man, we we decided to go with what you're saying. How come you can't find Because they're just thinking you can get any dog and train it, right? That's their mindset. And that's that whole education right. component. Like, hey, you really have to be an advocate and play politics and play nice in the sandbox with these guys because, you know, you never want to piss off, you know, the chief or your administrators that are backing your program, right? And so I'm playing politics, I'm, I'm, but not just playing politics. I'm actually playing politics, but in a right way, saying, hey, be patient. You're going to see that if you, just, if you just trust me like you said you were going to, then you'll see the end product will be worth it, worth the wait. And it was. And now, of course, now, you know, fast forward in the future – now that we're, you know, we have this great PR program and, you know, all these schools are writing letters to the chief saying how they love the dogs and we do a lot of promotions with the dogs, especially in, in today's world where, you know, it's a challenging PR, you know, police work is a challenging PR nightmare. But we're, we can, we have a nice program to facilitate some nice positivity of our 
department because of our dogs. And we make sure, I make sure that when we do any kind of um, demonstrations at schools or churches or whatever, that, you know, people say, oh, your dog's great. I always say, hey, let the send a letter to the chief, let him know, right? So he's getting some some mail, email or letters saying how they love the dogs. You know, it's a, it's a real positive experience. And you get that support. And they forget quickly that they had to wait, you know, four or five months to get that dog. So because now it's successful. So so how many years have you been there at the department, Frank? Uh, I've been there where I work now uh, just about 18 years. All right. So how many more years you got you're going to do, you think? I have, I have. Well, I can punch out tomorrow. But mm-hmm. I actually, I actually like what I do, and I'm going to wait probably another two and a half years, and I'm done. And then we're going to do dogs. We're going to yeah, train. You know, what? Uh, you know what? I haven't made any decisions on that. I'll always do dogs. I just don't know at what level. I've, I've been offered a couple of uh, interesting um, positions, and I haven't said yes or no to any of those yet. And because uh, I, can't, it wouldn't be fair for me to do that yet. So, right. um, but yeah, you know, I. I you know, life, uh, I've been around for a while, and so life is interesting. I know that uh, things are offered to you and doors open sometimes and you least expect them. So I'm always open to, you know, I'm always open to anything, actually. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's great. But so yeah, I'm sure you get asked a lot by people on Instagram or probably uh, other people a lot of questions about and opinions about their dogs and things yeah. like that. Um, do you um, – do you give do you give that advice or is it, if you if right now if you had to just say two or three things that people should do with their dogs on a daily basis that would at least help them what would you say a couple quick things that you would tell them Yeah I would say uh on a daily level have some have some engagement training engage your dog you know have them engage with you and uh and have a partner you know do something that the two of you are doing together um, I always think, you know, always have a strong, you know, obedience thing, but sometimes OB is like, you can get into a dog's head. Just have some fun place. You know, if you, if your dog knows how to play tug, you know, play tug, educate yourself. You know, I, I, I get my, um, DMs are always at what I found out on Instagram. There's a cap on, there's a cap on DMs. It maxes out at 99 plus, although you may have a thousand DMs pending, which I actually probably do. Um, it always says at 99 plus and people are always asking, you know, for free dog advice. I would say, um, you know, learn something about dog training. Don't go necessarily on Instagram to learn it. Don't go on the internet, go to, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of operating training. Go to Mike Rutland school. He, you know, Mike Rutland and I'm a big fan of both Mike Rutland and, um, and Michael Ellis. And so to me, those guys are exactly, they, they are exactly the same trainers, right? They do exactly the same thing. Uh, a little bit different on the nuances. Mike does a lot of free shaping and, and Mike Ellis does a lot of alluring, but uh, they're both doing operant training. They're both super successful at what they do. One's uh, kind of a hippie dude. One's a, you know, a tactical <laughs> former Navy mm-hmm. SEAL. So personality wise, they're polarized. But if you look at their dog training, they're exactly the same dude, which is really interesting. So my my so my point is go out there and either go to that kind either go to Mike's school, Mike Rutland's school, or Mike Ellis's school on their and their internet. They both have like online academies. If you can't actually attend one and learn how dogs think, learn how they learn, and and that will make you a better handler. So I would say engagement and educate yourself. You should do on a daily level. What are mind. the one of the big things that I push on people all the time is, and it doesn't matter whether it's a working dog or not, is 
exercising brains and mm-hmm. bodies, dogs yep. and people. Yeah. Uh, what I mean, your dogs, you know, especially being uh, Mouse and Dutch Shepherds, it's it's a it's a whole nother level that folks, a lot of folks don't understand. They're like, yeah, you know, I, I threw the ball with him for five minutes, but he's still just running all over the place and running in circles and doing all this other stuff. Um, could you talk about the importance of, of the exercise part of it? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, well, like you said, you know, genetically, these dogs typically, stereotypically, they're high drive dogs. Yeah. And so they need to be stimulated both physically and mentally. So we, I just do it all with them. Right. So, um, like my dogs, even not obviously not not the puppy, but you know even Lucky, who's a eight year old or well, seven and a half year old lad mix, you know I could run them, and we do we go on you know runs four times a week, like anywhere from four to eight miles, and that's just part of that's just part of it, right? So I can come home an hour later, like in the summertime, they want to do more stuff. So here's here's the here, here's the challenge when you train your dogs physically. They get physically stronger and their endurance gets better. And so the threshold to keep them challenged increases as well. So it's kind of a vicious circle. You're kind of chasing the squirrel around a little bit, you know, and to the point where you can run a dog eight miles and then do an hour of dock diving and then do, you know, some bite work. And then you could do whatever else you're doing on a given day. And there's, there's, they can take that every day. What you did yesterday doesn't matter, right? It's not like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I don't have to take my, I don't have to take my mouth out for a run today, or, you know, play fetch with it for an hour because I did that yesterday. It's kind of like weight training, right? Just because you did it yesterday doesn't mean you can't do it today. And if you don't do it, then your dog is going to drive you fucking nutty, right? I mean, they just, they get spun fast, and and. And you have to, you know, mentally challenge them and physically challenge them. And if you don't, their behaviors will often turn into destructive behavior. And then that's when people start losing control over their dogs, you know. And so, and then these, and typically these dogs continue to build drive for the first four years, right? So uh, you got to be able to deal with that in some fashion. So I, I say just do a little bit of everything. If you're going to have these dogs as a civilian, and have them as a home pet, then you're going to really, you know, have to commit. And if you don't, you have to commit to that. And if you don't have the physique for that, if you got bad knees or a bad back, and uh, you know you can't participate in that kind of lifestyle, then then find a dog that's more appropriate for you, right? Yeah, I tell everybody if you can't do that, get a greyhound because <laughs> they sleep 22 hours a day. Well, I know because we have one. Yeah. yeah, right. It's yeah, you know, the personality has to match the dog, right? And so, and it's just like, uh, it's just like picking my handlers out, picking out a handler for your, for your canine program is super essential. We always talk about the dogs, right? You got to find the best dog and that, you know, blah, 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 that, that, that unicorn dog. Well, that unicorn dog is worth a piece of shit if it's in the back of the patrol car, never doing anything, right? So you got to make sure you find a handler that's motivated, that's proactive, right? And, and it's good with PR. And, you know, I, I think the bottom line is when you pick out a handler for your program, if you don't, if he's not well liked, right? If he's not a fun guy to be around, he shouldn't be a handler, right? Yeah. Because you want your handler to be a fun dude or a fun woman, right? A fun person. And uh, if they're not fun to be around, then your dog, that dog isn't going to have fun either, right? And and uh, if you can weed out the people that just want to have a cool dog in the back of the car, you know, you got to make sure you weed that. Oh, what yeah, I actually put that hit super close to home, <laughs> <laughs> right? I know what I did that was uh, kind of unique and it worked out really well was um, 
you know, we only have two handlers, right? And so, and once you get the handler, the handler gets to keep the dog and for the life of the dog, which could be, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, possibly. And um, so it's important. I didn't want to get stuck with, you know, two shitty handlers. I wanted to have the best handlers I could pick. And so, but I think part of the handling, part of picking a good handler is picking the family as well, because a family has to be, they have to understand what they're getting into. It's a family commitment, right? It isn't just the handler, it's their significant other, their wife, their husband, their kids, all of that stuff. And so what I did was I did like a, like an open house where I thought, hey, like we're going to be picking out a new handler soon. If you're interested, we're going to meet at the PD, bring your wife and bring your kids and bring anyone, your significant others. And and bring them and and I brought a bunch of former handlers in my department that we had because we had some guys that were handlers in the Air Force as well. So anyone that had any experience with with high drive dogs, working dogs, I brought them in to kind of give their testimonies what it's like to live with these kind of dogs. And some of the wives were like, because they thought these dogs, you know, police dogs were like eating machines, right? They were scared, you know, to have a police dog in their house. And so we got an opportunity to openly talk about it and educate people to know what they were getting into. So I wanted the decision to be made for the handler to be a, one of their entire family. And as it turned out, it was it worked out great. Um, it, it was better. Actually, the, the turnout was better than I had hoped because it was a big learning curve for everybody. So it was cool. Awesome, man. So uh, obviously we can find you on Instagram at Fritter11, right? Number one, yeah. number one, not spelled out Fritter11. Um, man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been awesome. We yeah. covered a lot of ground, uh, and we covered some stuff that, uh, I've sort of wanted to talk about, but we haven't really had the, <clears throat> haven't had the opportunity to, I guess the best way to sure. talk, talk about it. And it's yeah. stuff that's super important. So, but yeah, yeah. And then the story also of the lake is, was gnarly, but man, we super appreciate it. Um, everybody hit him up on IG. You can find me, uh, at Torchlight K9, the letter K, the number nine on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can find me at Working Dog Dry Goods both on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, and then, of course, working, do- working underscore dog underscore radio for this podcast. And Eric, where can we hit you up? Uh, on Instagram, uh, Van S K9, V A N E S S K9. And on Facebook, Van S K9 Academy. I, uh, I don't do a ton of stuff on Facebook. Because I hate it, but uh, I do more on uh, Instagram, Van S K Nine. Um, Frank, I, I also I want to thank you for coming on this. This podcast is awesome. This is uh, there's a lot for a lot of different people: administrators, handlers, regular folks, people that followed your story. I, I think it's pretty awesome. Thanks. Thank you for the invite, and thanks for letting me share my story with you. Yep. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, you guys be good. Working Dog Radio is edited and co-produced by Dustin Wright at Bracket Designs. Be sure to hit him up at BracketDesigns.com for any branding or content-related work you have. We were graciously granted permission to use this rad music by Brother Deeg. Go buy him a beer at Brother Deeg, spelled D-E-G-E dot blogspot dot com, spelled D-E-G-E, or hit him up on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or any other music streaming stores. Check the show notes for links to both of these creative geniuses.